and you can have a seat. That was one of the first places we looked, along with already having a connection with Jermaine. Um, we each wanted to find a space to serve and give back to the church. That's always been a big part of our heart. When we decided to serve with the youth ministry, uh, Lauren and I decided to try to do the same grade so we could hang out with each other and develop relationships even amongst the different genders. Not only do Lauren and I serve, we have other couples in our life group that serve with us in student ministries and other grades. We've been able to really deepen connection with some of those couples just as we see them on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights or even at camp and just um, come up with ideas for one another on how we can better connect to the girls or the guys and uh, just ideas to help those youths grow in their faith as well. The reason I come to camp is, I guess I love the outdoors and love being in God's creation, but I also love seeing my guys for an extended period of time and getting to pour into them and be able to have those, you know, two hour conversations or late night conversations or things that aren't really able to happen during a one or two hour session up at the church on Sundays. It's been really neat to see how God is able to use Garrett and I in the youth ministry just um, with the kids being able to confide in us in certain things or just confess things for maybe the first time that they haven't realized they're really struggling with and um, just in some of those small moments that they're able to connect things that they've been taught at 121 their whole lives but finally able to apply in um, just their, their everyday world has been really neat to see. I've been her life group leader for about a year now um, and she's going to share a little bit about her story. I accepted God into my heart when I was eight years old. Good morning. We're Austin and Ani Lindsay. Um, we've been coming to 121 since summer of 2019, so about four years now. And uh, we're part of uh, the Bezos Young Married Life Group with the Pattersons who are just in the video behind us. And uh, we also serve uh, in the youth group here with eighth grade boys and girls. And this morning, my wife will be reading from Acts 20, 25 through 30. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Lord, thank you so much for letting us be a part of uh, a, a biblical and uh, community-based church here at 121. And uh, Lord, just uh, thank you for the reach that this church has both near and far. 
and uh, thank you for letting us uh, live in a country where we can meet freely uh, in a community together. Um, all things I pray in your name. Amen. There's honey in the rock, water in the stones. mic on first. If you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 17 through 38, it's where we'll hang out uh, in just a moment. Uh, what I'd like to do to uh, launch us into this passage and give us a visual to work with uh, is to show a video of uh, a race uh, that someone sent me this week. And as I uh, re-watched it, I thought this is such a good picture of what we're speaking of today. Uh, it's four minutes long. Uh, and I'd like for you to really tune in to what the announcers are saying, the comments that they're making, uh, and then what the girls themselves say uh, in the post-game interview. Uh, and then I want to draw back onto this uh, multiple times uh, as we look in Acts 20 uh, in just a few minutes. All right, so let's take a look. Final of the women's 400 meters. And Sydney's in lane five, and what will she do? We've seen her go out in 22 seconds and have to kind of figure it out in the last part of the race. Yesterday, she went out in 23.7. I think 23.5 is the perfect pace. Otto, she is pushing the pace. She's already closed the stack on everyone else. This is looking like record-setting pace. This is looking faster than 23.5 to me, and Britton Wilson doing the right thing. Just run your own race, but Sydney McLaughlin has gone out to 23.2, so I think the record is in play, and especially if Britton Wilson pulls up next to her. But so far, all Sydney. Remember last year when she won the world championship at this venue? She told Lewis Johnson, anything is possible, whatever she puts her mind to. The meet record is 49.27. The American record is 48.70. Sydney McLaughlin Larone is a national champion at a new event at a 48.75. And she just misses the American record. That's only the third American performer who has ever run under 49. What a phenomenal run. 23 2 through 200 meters, and she had the strength and the poise to finish in 25 seconds. That's how she got so close to the record. And Otto, she did it by herself. Yes. That is what was truly phenomenal. If Britton Wilson was able to get up with her, she could have potentially got to that 48.6 or better. But let's take a look at how Sydney ran 
under 49 seconds to win her first 400 meter title. She dominated through 200 meters, ran a phenomenal turn, and this is where you've got to hold it all together. You've got to stay poised. And when I think of the level of maturity and poise this young lady has at just 23 years old, it's so inspirational. The two events that she has chosen to tackle are two of the toughest in our sport, and she makes it look so easy, Otto. She's a shining star in this sport, a champion in, by every definition of the word. This was clinical. It's almost like she had a timer in her hand, 23 low through the first 200, and then you got to hold it together, as Sonia said. You see the little grit at the end. You don't see that from her often. It's usually when she is about to break a record. So 48-74, guess who is the favorite for the world title in the 400-meter flat? It's Sydney mclaughlin Lavroni. She is living up to her own words, and they are anything is possible. It's a world lead, a meet record for Sydney mclaughlin Lavroni over the 22-year-old Britton Wilson and Talitha Diggs. Here she is with Lewis Johnson. Well, Lee, I was instructed by Sydney that I had to sit down with him <laughs> after running the 400. So, so here I am, Sydney. You come across the line and you win your first national championship in just spectacular time. What does a moment like this mean for you? All the glory to God. Honestly, I've been thinking about Proverbs 3, trusting in the Lord with all my heart and mind and leaning not on my own understanding. And I think the season's been a testimony to that and just grateful to be here with these lovely ladies. How about Bobby instructing you to reach for something new and taking you to another moment like this? Man, the greats always push themselves and I want to be one of them. So I have to push myself and, you know, get out of my comfort zone. So I'm just happy to be here. Britain, you're heading uh, over to Budapest as well, but she ran 23-2 in her first 200 meters. How did you have to control yourself to stay in within your own self there? Yeah, I definitely was just trying to run my race plan, um, not go too fast or too slow, but just execute what my coach wanted me to do, and I think I did a good job of doing that today. And Talitha, after a long season, of course, before with the Gators, and of course coming from the great family history, what does it mean now to make your own name now in this sport in the individual 400? Yeah, you know, Joshua 119 tells us to be strong, be courageous. Every time I step on the track, that's what I do. It's been an honor to run against such amazing ladies, to be from such a family. It's all glory to God. This is not me. This is him. That is so good. Awesome. Congratulations. Uh, is somebody going to help me up? <laughs> <laughs> they just ran a 400, Lewis. <laughs> awesome. We'll see you in Budapest, ladies, and congratulations. From my understanding of track and field, and I don't know if some of you are probably runners, some not, but uh, that the 400 meters is the most grueling uh, event in track and field. Uh, it's a sprint. It's a 400 meter sprint. So it's in between distances and shorter sprints, uh, and it's an incredibly grueling race. Uh, but I think what we see in that race is such a good picture uh, of what it is to finish well and to finish strong. Uh, and that's what I want us to think about this morning in Acts chapter 20, is how we finish strong. Uh, in our world today, uh, there are so many that finish poorly uh, and don't finish well. Uh, and I think we learned from Paul today in Acts 20 how we can finish strong and how we can finish uh, well. Uh, we'll spend the bulk of our time in verses 17 through 24. Uh, in one way, that saddens me. Uh, because uh, I had four points today. We're going to spend most of our time on one, and it saddens me because I was able to alliterate my points, and I usually do not do that. Uh, and so I was kind of excited about that this morning. Uh, it's things that excite a preacher that you could probably care less about, uh, but 
uh, I think it helps us to lock in and to remember. Uh, and, and we'll spend the bulk of our time in 17 to 24 and then uh, uh, just a quick overview of the, the end of it. Um, when we think about Acts, the book of Acts, these last few chapters where we've been, uh, we think of being on the move. Paul has been on the move, taking the message of Jesus uh, to cities uh, where the message of Jesus had not yet been heard. Uh, and when we think about Vision 2025 at our church, there's a number of things that are in that vision, but the primary idea behind it is to establish worship where there is none, where there's not worship of Jesus that would be a part of establishing that. It's tough to be a pioneer, and Paul's a pioneer. He's going to places where they've never heard the name of Jesus, and he's, he's boldly bringing that message uh, of Christ. In these places, uh, people are responding to it. Churches are being established, gatherings of those believers, and now Paul is going back, and he's strengthening those churches. So it's not just that we go and someone comes and know Christ, or we start something and there's faith there. We go back and we strengthen that which has been started. And Paul sets that pace uh, for us uh, as we watch him in his different journeys. Uh, we've been primarily in Greece with him uh, in the previous chapters to what we'll discuss today. Uh, in Acts uh, 19 and 20, uh, we're more in Turkey. Uh, and that's where Ephesus is. So if you just think modern-day Turkey, uh, that's the region of the world uh, where we are in speaking of Acts 19 and 20. I want to give you a bit of an overview before we lock into these few verses. Uh, Paul arrives in Ephesus. He stays there three years. It's the longest time that he's at any particular city or church. Uh, so he has a deep investment in them. Uh, and a number of things are described in Acts 19 and 20. By the way, when you read the letter to the Ephesians, uh, the sixth chapter letter to the Ephesians, it would be good to tie back to Acts 19 and 20. Uh, you could really probably go back a couple chapters prior, but uh, 19 and 20, uh, and then uh, that gives you a good picture of what he did when he established the church that he wrote that letter to. We find him, uh, there are a number of miracles that happen in Ephesus. Uh, and then, as always, when people are coming to Jesus, then some people get upset about it. And this time we encounter a man in Acts 19 named Demetrius. And he's upset because his pocketbook is being upset. He and some of his buddies, they're idol makers. And Artemis was the primary uh, one who was uh, the, the, the god over the city, the goddess. And, uh, and Artemis, uh, they made a lot of idols uh, to that, to Artemis. And that was good business. Well, Paul comes in, <clears throat> people are starting to follow Jesus, and now all of a sudden, uh, it's taken away from their business. And when the pocketbook gets hit, people aren't happy uh, when that occurs. So Demetrius stirs up a crowd uh, of people, and they uh, get an uproar in the city. They're mad at Paul, and, but fortunately, there's a town clerk uh, that comes in and settles everyone, uh, and we're grateful for that town clerk. Uh, and the clerk basically says, that if Artemis is who Artemis says, then Artemis can take care of this problem. If that's really a God, then that can be taken care of. Things calm down a little bit. Also why he's there, uh, there are a number of those that were practicing magic. Uh, and the ones who are coming to Christ are burning their magic books. They're getting rid of anything uh, that would profane uh, the name of Christ. 
Uh, so that gives us uh, an idea of where we are in the Ephesian letter. Paul takes off for a bit, uh, and he ends up in a town called Miletus. While he's in Miletus, he calls for the elders of the church in Ephesus to come to him. And many would just refer to this that we'll discuss as a great farewell letter. So this is Paul's last time that he'll see these leaders of the church in Ephesus, uh, and we get a hint uh, into what he says to them uh, as recorded here. This is what I want us to think about. If we're going to finish strong, and we're going to finish well in the Christian race, then how are we going to do it? How, how will we finish really well and really strong? And I think Paul gives us some things here in his farewell to the Ephesians uh, that will help us uh, to do the same. Uh, there were four points that I have. We'll spend the bulk of it on one, uh, and then I'll, I'll overview the last three quickly uh, at the end. Uh, but this is what I'd like to begin with in 17 to 24. If we're going to finish strong and finish well, then we're going to have to grind well. If we're going to finish well and finish strong, then that means we're going to have to grind well. What do I mean? Let's go. Verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. The elders are the team of people that are leading the church. And when we read in the New Testament, we see that the elders are consistently the ones that would lead the church. 121 is an elder-led church. We have elders uh, that oversee the church. There's a team of us that oversee what happens at 121. When we started the church, I was just coming off of being a youth minister for 12 years, and I was uncomfortable with the elder term. Uh, it just didn't really work in my head. It's not what I came from, uh, from a church structure. Uh, and so we called it a leadership team. So when you're here, you may hear us talk about a leadership team. That's our elders. That's who leads. Over the years, I've grown increasingly more comfortable with the biblical terminology uh, of elder. Uh, and I'm grateful that that's how God has set up the leadership of our church. Deacons are not the leaders of a church. The word deacon means through the dust. Deacons in a church are servants in the church. The elders are the leaders of the church. And that's who Paul is addressing uh, as he speaks to uh, them one last time uh, before uh, he heads on to Jerusalem. Verse 18, when they'd come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. You yourselves know. It's an emphatic kind of you. Uh, he says, you know that when I was there, that I was with you the whole time. I heard somebody say this week in quoting Jim Elliott, who's a missionary in the 1950s that was killed in Ecuador. Uh, in his journal, he wrote, or he said, so I don't know where it was, but the phrase was, be wherever you are. And I've heard somebody else say, be, be where your feet are. And the idea is that wherever you are, be there. Be present, be focused, be with them. If you're with them, be with them. And Paul says to them, you know this, that the whole time I was with you, I was there, and I was, I was with you, I was present with you the whole time, those three years. 
What was he doing to be present with them? In verse 18, or verse 19, he was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. What was Paul doing? Serving. Just like Jesus. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in the same way, Paul was serving, and he was serving with humility. Paul would write to the Philippians in chapter 2 that they were to do all things uh, without selfishness or empty deceit and to look out uh, with a humility of mind for others. Did not merely look out for their own personal interests, but for the interest of others. And then he said, have this attitude in yourselves, which also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe Jesus laying his life down to the point of death. And then God raising him from the dead and exalting him at the proper time. He was with them the whole time. And he was serving them. And serving can be a grind. Most of our lives are not spent, as we saw in the earlier video, at camp. And camp was amazing. But most of our lives are spent in the grind. And those who grind well will more than likely finish well and finish strong. And he's saying to them, I was with you and I was serving you and serving you with all humility. He served them in the midst of tears and with trials. What would the tears have been? Perhaps, before we went to Israel a few months ago, I ran into this when I was studying. In John chapter 11, Jesus is with Mary and Martha, and their brother had just died, Lazarus. And Jesus is weeping with them over their brother. And the word for weep is a word that is for tears coming down the cheeks. We also read in the Gospels that Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of the lostness of Jerusalem. But it's two separate words that are used to describe the weeping. When he's weeping over Jerusalem and the lostness of people, he's sobbing. It, it's ugly crying over the lostness of people. And it was regular tears over the, in walking with someone in the death of a friend and a family member. There were deeper sobs and deeper tears over those who did not know Jesus. And I suspect that's the kind of tears Paul was crying over Demetrius and the ones who were more interested in their pocketbook, their credit cards, their money, than Jesus. Trials. Someone said in a Bible study I did several years ago and was working through it that we're either entering a trial, we're going through a trial, or we're coming out of a trial. I think that's a good way to think about it, but I don't think it's that clean. I think we're always about to enter trials. I think we're always in trials, 
and I think we're always coming out of trials. And some are heavier and harder than others. And when we're in those trials that are heavier and harder, it calls for us to be able to grind well. Because it's not easy. So we're going to finish strong and finish well in the Christian race. We grind well in the midst of the trials until the day that God brings us home to Himself. He goes on to say in verse 20, that when I was with you, I was serving you in humility, and I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. He didn't shrink back. He, this is also what he says in verse 27. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I was with you the whole time. I served you the whole time. I served you with humility. I served you in tears. I served you in trials. I taught you. I didn't shrink back from you. I taught you the whole purpose of God the whole time. The whole purpose of God. I didn't shrink back. I didn't hold back the hard stuff. We live in a culture where it's hard to say the hard thing because we get offended so easily and we're so fragile. That it's hard to hear the hard thing. And so we have to figure out ways we can uh, make it where it's uh, palatable so that we can actually even hear it without being offended by it. But Paul said, I, I declared to you everything that was profitable for you. And he would write to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 28, it says that, that we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man so that we might present every man complete in Christ. Paul's goal was not for you to like him or feel good about him. Paul's goal was for you to be complete and me to be complete in Christ. That, that we would have all that he intends for us in Christ. The word admonish means to warn. Paul warned them. Stay clear of these things. And then he taught them. Do these things. Get in on it. So he didn't shrink back. He warned and he taught. And he did this publicly in the synagogue. We say again and again. So it'd be, we do publicly here. Tuesday nights, we have a sober Bible study in Deuteronomy. It's publicly, we're gathering. And then from house to house. In the model that we do Life at 121, we have 100 plus life groups that most are meeting in homes. Publicly, house to house, God's Word being taught. And it's not just community, community's good. But it's community that's built and centered on God's Word. Where nothing is being held back and the whole purpose of God is being declared. Not just what salvation is, but then what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. The whole purpose of God. The whole counsel of God. In chapter 19... 
It says that God's word in Ephesus was multiplying and prevailing. And I wouldn't say we're necessarily multiplying, but groups are continuing to grow. In the last uh, couple of years, we've gone from almost no young adult groups to this fall we'll have 11 or 12 just in our young adult and 20-somethings. Pretty cool. Multiplying in God's Word, prevailing. Publicly and house to house. And part of the message in verse 21, he's solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So question for us to contemplate for a moment. In your small groups, in your life groups, in the homes, how often are you speaking of repentance? In your families, how often are you speaking of repentance? This was core to Paul, of not shrinking back and bringing what's profitable. And it's profitable when we talk about repentance of sin. The word repent means to change my mind. I'm going one way, and then I change and I'm going another. It's a change of self going that direction instead it's going towards God and I love how the scriptures write it it's repentance toward God so it's not just turning from something but it's turning from something toward God we're turning from something to something and then he talks about faith every person in the world lives by faith There is not one person, the most ardent scientist, lives by faith. The Christian race, it's not just faith, it's the object of the faith that matters. Jesus is the object of the faith. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's only Jesus. So it's a faith towards God. It's a repentance toward God. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And what he did for us on the cross in dying for our sin. And God raised him from the dead. It's the object of our faith. It's repentance and then it's faith. I was listening to an interview of Timothy Keller and that Kerry Newhoff was doing with him. And it's two and a half hours long. I'm about a half hour in and... Uh, He's talking to Timothy Keller about the culture uh, when Keller, and he passed away in May, uh, a great example of someone who finished well and finished strong uh, in the Christian faith. Uh, And Keller talked about how the culture has changed in the last 30 years, and that when he started a church in Manhattan, uh, there was a certain way that he talked about the culture and then bridged it to the gospel and the message of Jesus. And then he was asked... Uh, how would he do it now? And he said, well, it started to shift right when I uh, uh, retired from the church, or, and he continued other ministries but left the church. Uh, and so he kind of laughed, like, I don't, I'm not doing it now. But, but then he was pressed, okay, what would you do today? How, how do you think about our culture? And he said, well, in 1989, <clears throat> when I started, it was more about freedom 
that people were after. And so I would talk about, you're looking for freedom in this endeavor or this endeavor. But freedom really comes in Christ. And he said, I wouldn't speak so much today about freedom as I would about identity. And the highest value today in our culture for identity is for you to be true to yourself. And he said, what I would talk about is this. I would say, if you're trying to be true to yourself, anytime you do that, you're gaining your identity by what you achieve. But if you find your identity in Christ... It's not by what you achieve, it's by what you receive. And I would say to them that that's the more beautiful and better story because no matter what happens in life, your identity never changes because you've received it in Christ. So what happens when achievement is where you're finding your identity and it doesn't happen, or it doesn't work. Repentance is turning from finding my identity and being true to myself and turning towards God in Christ and receiving Him and allowing Him to determine who I am and allowing him to write the story. Repentance, faith, and then repentance is daily. There's that repentance when we come to know Jesus, and then there's that sin we battle so often, and we're constantly coming back to God in confession and repentance before him so that we can continue to walk in the way that he's called us to walk. He said, I didn't hold it back. I kept, I, I kept bringing it. I didn't shrink back from it. I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And now behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Well, Paul is in the midst of this farewell address He's on his way after he leaves here to Jerusalem where he knows the Spirit of God is leading him into a really hard spot. God's Spirit will lead us into hard places. Paul knows he's headed to a hard place. He's not shrinking back from following the lead of the Spirit. And he's continuing on that path. But he says in verse 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. The core to Paul's home ministry was the gospel of the grace of God. The word gospel means good news. The word grace, I'll just share with you what my son said when he was a child. He's 31 now. But I was asked him one time, I said, how would you define grace? And as a child, he said, it's giving someone a break. 
God has given us the biggest imaginable break at the cross so that we could escape God's judgment and wrath, be freed from sin, be freed from chasing an identity of being true to ourselves and instead being captured by the beauty and glory of Christ himself, what he did on our behalf. That motivated Paul. And when grace captures us, then it motivates us to give other people a break. As I continue to remind myself of the break I've been given, how can I not give you the same? That is what moved him. That's what motivated him. That's what kept him on the move. That would be what sustained him in the grind. Reflecting on the beauty of the grace of God. I can grind one more day as I dwell on the grace of God and what it is that he's done at the cross on my behalf. Let me go back to the video of the race. Now, we were probably fixated on Sidney McLaughlin Lavroni and the domination in that race. But did you hear the girl in second place? Did you hear what she said? The interviewer asked her, said, when you saw Sydney out front, as far as she was out front, what were you thinking? What were you going to do? And she said, I, I just executed my coach's plan. And I just ran my race. You see, this is very personal here in verse 24. Paul said, I don't consider my life of any account. And that's why in Philippians he'd write, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either is advantage. It's advantage to live and know Christ. It's advantage to die and be with Christ. Either way, it's an advantage. Uh, and Paul was confident in that advantage he had being in Christ. Uh, and then he says that, that he has his course and the ministry he received from the Lord Jesus. See, Paul ran a Christian race, and you're not asked, and I'm not asked to run Paul's race. We learn from him. We learn from his example. We see ways to run. But God has a race marked for you, and he has a course marked for you, and he has a race for you. See, God, God calls us into uh, being followers of Jesus, and then within that larger realm of being in the race, uh, He has a specific thing for you. He has an assigned race for you. And that second place runner understood she had a race to run, and her coach had a plan for her. And I'm sure they'll go back and they'll try to adjust the game plan for the next race to give her a good shot at winning. But do you know what race you're running right now? Are you confident you're running the one God's marked out for you? He has a race for you. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7, that he's fought the good fight. He's finished the course, kept the faith. This was his last letter he wrote. And 
He was confident that he was finishing good, finishing well. Paul would also say in 1 Corinthians 9 uh, that we're to run the race, run it well. Only one receives the prize, but run in such a way that you might win. And then he goes on in verse 25 to say that everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. We're not talking about uh, a race where there's a perishable prize at the end, but rather one where it's imperishable. Verse 26, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He understood the race terminology, and in order to run the race, we saw the race 49 seconds and less. What we didn't see is the grind to run that 40, less than 49 seconds. All the hours those young ladies have put in to be that kind of an athlete. All the time spent alone training. All the time spent together training. All the time with coaches. All the time tweaking. So I just want to say this morning, if we're going to finish well, then we have to be willing to get in the grind of the things that nobody sees. And being in the rhythm of being in God's Word. And studying God's Word, and reading God's Word, and memorizing God's Word, and listening to God's Word, and spending time praying. It can be a grind. It's not easy. It requires study. It requires work. And the more we're in, the more God teaches, the more God shows us. Are you in the grind? You saw those ladies, right, at the very beginning of the race? The very beginning of the, the video, they're, li- they're, they're in their blocks, uh, lined up for the race. Uh, and here they are in their stance. I can't get down quite as far as them, but I'm in the hunt. <laughs> and I was told to do my fingers like this, but it hurts, so I'm going to go back to this. <laughs> so they're, they're at the starting blocks. They, they entered the arena... And they're at the start of the race. And the cameras go and look at their faces. And I don't know if you remember their faces. It's intense focus and concentration. And they're waiting to hear the gun go off. I don't make noises very well, so I'm not going to do a gun sound. But they're waiting for the gun to go off. And when the gun goes off, they're going to they're take off out of the block. And they're going to run the race. But imagine if the gun goes off and they just stayed there. Maybe a few take off and run, but others stay. And I'm afraid that's what too many Christians do. They hear the message of Jesus, there's an initial repentance. And they love the idea of heaven, whenever that comes, they never get off the blocks. They're just in the blocks. It looks funny to never get off the block. 
It's what it looks like when we never get in the race that God has marked for us. Have you gotten off the blocks? You run in the race. We showed that video earlier of the Make a Difference. In the last couple of months, we've been talking about that. How can we make a difference in our church? So when we think about the race, we know from the scriptures that if God has brought you into this gathering of people at 121, if this is your church, and if you're visiting from somewhere else, wherever your church is, then the expectation from God is that you would use your giftings in that body of people. Like, it's not the whole race, it's part of the race. And God has given every person spiritual gifts to use and serve in the church. And so I don't know what mine are. And I, I, well, you think those girls ran like that the first time they ran the race? No, they just started training and running and they figured it out. So part of how we get off the blocks is we just try something. Just start running. Just get in the race somehow, some way. And we'll trip and we'll stumble and we'll fall and we'll try to figure out and we'll say, oh, that was a bad idea. I don't think that's where you're, we'll find another spot. We'll figure it out. Just get in the race. And I know that can be hard. I started probably about a year ago trying to play pickleball, and then I got hurt doing something else. And so the last several months, I've been trying to rehab that, and I've gotten to a place where I can play again and try it, and, uh, and I'm terrible at it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's bad. And I've been watching uh, for a while uh, at the gym I go to, people playing, because I'm thinking if I keep watching, uh, then I'll figure out what they're doing, and I can get a little better at it before I step among them. Uh, because it's a cruel crowd that plays pickleball. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, I want to be a little better before I step into it. And I'm looking out through the glass and I see someone I know. Uh, and then when I see them, I think, okay, I'm going now. Because at least there's a familiar person in there. And I do. I start playing and I'm terrible. And this is how I know. Because when I'm playing, one, we're losing every time. That's one way I know. But two, the people that get stuck, it's kind of like you put your rackets in this basket and the first four, then you play together. You just kind of get stuck with people. So they get stuck with me. Like I'm the one they're stuck with. I'm that guy. And I know it. But I'm thinking if I don't play, I don't know how I get better. But I know you don't want to play with me. <laughs> and so it's kind of intimidating. And so I'm every bit as bad as I think I am, and I'm worse because I'm nervous because I'm thinking I need to do X, so at least maybe they'll let me play a second time. I don't know. But here's the second way I know. They keep looking at the door hoping someone else will come in and they don't have to play with me a second time. I see it in their face. I watch them. <laughs> I tried again last night, and this lady that was really great ended up on her team, and then the guys we were playing with, they said, you want to play again? She goes, no, I think I'm going to swap around. See, it's not hard. I knew. I, I know they don't want to play with me. But I want you to know in the Christian race, we're going to play with you. 
I don't care where you are in it. We're, we're in there with you. We're, we're going to run together. All you have to do is step in and say, I, I'm ready to run. This is where I need help. We're doing an overview of the Bible class this fall. If you don't know the Bible, you're thinking, I don't even know where to start. We've got a class if you want to do the class. We've had several people do that now. People go with you one-on-one on it. I'm just telling you, you just got to get in the, get in the race. Where do you want to serve? If you've been here for years. You've never served anywhere. Get in the race. Did you see Sydney's face when they showed the race the next time? And they said about her face, it usually doesn't get that way. But she was grinding at the end, going for it. Grind well. Run the race God has for you. Let's work together on it. How we do it. How we run it. I want to quickly give you what those last three are, just so you have it, if you want to go and look at the Scripture. In verses uh, 25 through uh, 31, if we're going to finish well, we're going to have to guard well. Just in sum, what Paul says is, hey, you're going to have to be really careful here. Uh, To the elders, he's telling them they have to guard the flock. It's the responsibility uh, them for them to guard, to be aware of what's going on in their own selves, and then the church, the protectors of it. Why? He says, savage wolves are about to rise up when I leave. And there's going to be outside influences that are coming after you, and there's going to be people within that are going to create trouble. Savage wolves. So be on the guard. Be on your guard. What we've talked about already is how we guard, and sometimes we don't finish well and finish strong because those savage wolves get hold of us from the outside or from the inside. And a savage wolf, by the way, is a false teacher. That could be an influencer on social media from the outside. It could be somebody getting hold of bad doctrine on the inside. It could be somebody that's just divisive on the inside. And certainly everybody on the outside is trying to fracture. Savage wolf. So guard. Guard yourself. Guard the flock. So if we finish strong, we'll guard well our own hearts and the hearts of others. The third thing is to grace well. Paul says, uh, he talks about grace again. And he talks about generosity. more blessed to give than to receive. He comes back, help the weak, help the vulnerable, help the poor. Part of how we're in the race is when we're helping the poor, the vulnerable, the weak. Same grace we receive, give that grace. The last thing he says is to grieve well. or That's how I would frame it, to grieve well. He's leaving, they're weeping, they're kissing each other repeatedly, hugging, they pray together. You know what I think is cool about it? They know this is the last time they're going to see him. You know people love well when their last time together is a weeping, praying, hugging fest. 
I love you so much, I can't stand the thought that we're about to separate ways. It's good to grieve that way. When we go out that way, we'll know that we finished well and finished strong. The other day I was at a gathering and I met a guy that uh, played professional football and then he was a, uh, ran track in college. And when he was uh, in college at the University of Illinois, they uh, told him they wanted him to run the 400 meters. And he wasn't a 400-meter runner. He was a 100-meter runner, a 200-meter He's a sprinter. He didn't want to run the 400, but they said, you run the 400, so he runs 400. Do what your coach says. And he ended up winning uh, the conference championship uh, his junior and senior year in the 400. And I asked him, I said, what's something that, you know, helped you to be able to run that race? That race is a grind. What, what's, what helped you be able to run that race well? And he said, I didn't think of it as a 400 race. I thought of it as a 550. So we're not, we're not trying to just come to the finish line and limp across it. We want to blow through the finish line. We're not grinding in a 400. We're running a 550. It's a long-haul race. The writer to Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have so great a, great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, well, let's also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sat at the right hand of the throne of God. See, we're not looking at a 400, we're looking at a 550. We want to look beyond the finish line, and beyond the finish line is Jesus. And we're looking to him. We're not just looking to how we tap out a life whenever it ends. But, but what is it way beyond that? How can I look at the 550 so that I can grind now? And when I finish, I can't believe it's over. As hard as it was and what a grind it was at times. But yet with the spirit of God within, even in the grind, there's a joy that comes in Christ and Christ alone. And there's a power that comes from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. How, how did he do well in the race? He did well because he didn't look at the finish line. He looked 150 yards past it so that he could do the grind. But I think verse 3 is the missed verse in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 that I just quoted. What is beyond that finish line for us, and how do we get there? Well, we get there by looking at Christ beyond it, and the joy it'll be to be with him in all eternity. But in the meantime, I'm also looking to Christ. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. When you're feeling weary and you want to lose heart, what do you do? Try harder? Go work out more? No. Believe more deeply and think more often on Jesus who endured more hostility than you and I will ever face in these days. And he'll give us what we need so that we can burst through that finish line with a joy and a smile, and like the third lady in the interview, all glory to God, this was not me, this was him. 
Father, thank you for your uh, word to us today, and uh, I love the strength of it. Thank you, Father, for Paul giving us uh, a thought in the way he was thinking when he was saying farewell. I pray, God, we'd be encouraged by it, uh, and that we'd be able to say like he did, that he's fought the good fight, he's finished the course, the race that you had for him. I pray, God, each of us uh, would finish well, and God, just like these ladies, that we would push each other well, that we'd have accountability well so that we can all finish strong. When we trip, when we stumble, when we fall, I pray, God, that we'd lean back into your grace as you pick us back up and get us back in the race again. Uh, So, God, help us be that to one another. And uh, we just want to say thank you today uh, for our time in Jesus' name. Well, if we could, in uh, in this small, quiet space, um, what is the race God has given you? Not just in the church, that's part of it, uh, but the overall race uh, that he wants you in to run hard for him and bring in that message of grace, no matter where you are, the whole time, the whole purpose of God. Well, what is the race God has marked for you? If you're not sure, ask him. And if you're not sure yet from him, just get in and do something. And see how he starts to direct and lead in God. Let's take a little bit of space here.